when I was in uh, high school, uh, we we had this fun we had these fun events during homecoming week where uh, different classes uh, would compete against each other. There'd be like a day or a couple days where there'd be this um, kind of these events where we would um, have to compete against each other. And one of the events was tug of war. So it'd be like, okay, you know, freshman class pick out ten guys and sophomore class pick out ten guys and then you're going to have this tug of war contest. But then there would also be like, okay, freshman class pick out ten girls and sophomore class pick out ten girls and it'd be like the girls would have this contest against each other. And then it was like all, you would kind of like, uh, you'd compete against one of the classes and then you would kind of, you, at the end, you might be the freshman competing against the seniors depending on if you defeated one of the other classes in this contest. And so, you know, it's like everyone is in, they're on the football field and everyone is in the bleachers. And so you've got these uh, two groups just, you know, having this tug of war going back and forth, trying, and there's like a line in the middle, and you're trying to get the other group to be pulled over the line. And so often it'd be like you take your biggest guy. I don't really know the whole, all the tactics or strategy of how to win tug of war, but this is often what we do. You'd like take your biggest, strongest guy or strongest girl, and you tie them like on the end of the rope and so they're like you know running and trying to pull and then you got everyone ah, you know pulling on the rope and everyone is over here like ah, going and pulling and trying to tug the other person over the line and everyone's cheering and yelling and all this stuff and maybe you uh, have a similar feeling like that in your life I've used this image before like you have this feel like man I'm kind of in a tug of war with people in my life like in my workplace or with my spouse or with family members like I'm in this tug of war and I've used this image like in conflict. Conflict with somebody can feel like I'm in this tug of war where I'm trying to get to pull them over to my side. Like, here's my side, and if I can just tug them over to my side, they'll see my point of view, and they'll give me what I want. Like, they'll see it from my side. But then the other person's also trying to do that with you, and there's maybe arguments and reasoning and yelling and whatever else, and using whatever tactics we can to get the other person to see it from our side of things. Or maybe it's like, man, I'm just feeling like, overwhelmed or tired and you're doing everything you can to get the world or people around you to just get get you what you need to get you the relaxation or, or the the comfort or the the rest or the you know or you're at work and you're like I just feel like I'm always tugging with my coworkers or my boss to get me what I need and you feel like you're in this tug of war with life or your environment or people around you and we're in the the third week of uh, this sermon series called good news with an exclamation point and we're focusing on the gospel, the good news about who God is and what he's done in Christ. And our world has changed um, with, I mean, it's always changing, but we are experiencing this huge change with uh, a global pandemic. I mean, did you ever think that you'd you know, tell your kids or whoever, like, I grew up in a global pandemic, or I had you know, a time in my life when there was a pandemic. You know, even saying that word is like you know, a crazy thing to say. Um, but when we learn who God is and what he's done through Jesus Christ, we learn who we are, and our world has changed, but who God is and who we are because of him hasn't. And last Sunday, and this Sunday, and next Sunday, we're focusing on our, our new identity in relation to God. And when Jesus gave his disciples their great commission, he said, uh, part of making disciples of Jesus is baptizing people um, into, the, into a new name. And name is our name is like our identity, like your last name. We don't really think of it too much now, but even your name is like how you identify yourself. It's a, your name is like, that's who I am. Like if your family was known for something, 
Um, you know, if you have a bad family name or reputation, like that's kind of like your identity. And when Jesus says, I want you to baptize people into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's giving us a, a new identity. We're, no, we're now a new creation. Well, who we were before, what defined us before, that old life of sin and unrighteousness and unholiness, that's gone. Now we're a new creation in Christ. And so last week we talked about um, what is our new relationship with God the Father? Like, what does that mean that we are now beloved children of the Father, that we are no longer um, defined by what we do, that God's love for us isn't about what we do, it's not about our performance, but it's God loving us, um, not based on those things. And this week we're focusing on what does it mean that we're baptized in the name of the Son? It's one name, singular, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so what does that mean? that Jesus is our king who has made it possible for us to enter God's family. He died, and we enter God's family, and we're baptized into his name, too. So what does that mean? He's on the throne, we're his servants, but what does that mean to have Jesus as our king, that now we have that uh, as part of our identity? So let's think about what it would mean to be a servant of someone, of somebody else, in Jesus' day. It's maybe something that we can imagine, like, okay, slavery or being a servant and thinking about that. But it would mean, if you're a servant of someone else, that they're your master. I mean, in short, your life is, is not your own. To a certain degree, you might have some freedoms, but your life is not your own. You're, you're living for someone else. Your, your desires and interests and plans and wishes, your schedule, are secondary to theirs. Their wishes, their desires, their interests, their will is primary, and yours are secondary. That Your life is not your own. Their desires, interests, plans, needs, and wishes come first. You're accountable to them, and you submit to them. And on another level, you're dependent on them because you're part of their household. In Jesus' day, if you're a servant, that doesn't just mean like you're, uh, you're just kind of like doing your own thing, buying your own groceries, but you're part of that person's household, so you're dependent on them. So to be servants of Jesus means we're uh, submitting to him, we're accountable to him, and we're dependent on him. We're part of his uh, God's household and part of Jesus' family. And this is how the Bible talks about our relationship to Jesus. We surrender all of life to him. Now our life is not our own. We're, he, what our will is and our desires and our wishes are now secondary um, to, and he is primary. But Jesus didn't even stop there. Jesus doesn't call us to only be servants of him. He calls us to be servants of other people. Of It's not just a vertical we're not just servants in our vertical relationship with Jesus, but we're servants in our horizontal relationships. We saw that in our scripture reading, that now we're servants of others. Our life is not our own um, because we're serving Jesus, but our life is not our own because we're supposed to be servants of other people. And we saw that in the scripture reading. He says greatness in his kingdom is about becoming a servant to other people as well. That means we put our desi- the other people's desires and interests and will and needs ahead of our own, that their all of their interest and will is secondary, and ours is, uh, or theirs is primary, and ours is secondary. We submit ourselves to other people as their servants. But if we're honest, we have a pretty hard time being servants, not just servants of Jesus, but servants of anybody. If you think about it, we are always thinking, how am I taking care of my needs and caring for myself first? And then we think, if I have something left over, Maybe I'll give it to Jesus, and then if I have something left over there, then I'm going to give it to somebody else. 
Being a servant of someone else requires humility. You have to put someone else's needs before yours. You have to stop thinking about yourself and think about the other person. And humility is often tied to being low, like lowering yourself. And we have to lower ourselves to be a servant. And that's often very difficult to us. And human history has shown that that's difficult. If you read the Bible, you can see that that was very difficult for people in the Bible as well. So what does it look like when we aren't acting like a servant? And this is where you can look at the tree on the uh, graphic I handed out to you. And we're going to look at four passages very briefly. <clears throat> um, we're going to get to them in a minute. But if we look at these four passages, uh, there's going to be four passages we look at where Jesus is held up as an example of a servant. Uh, and in those passages, the bad fruit <clears throat> that we see an image we can think of is it's like a tug of war. These people are in a tug of war and they're not getting along. So the bad fruit that we see when someone is, in, is not acting like a servant is they're in this tug of war where they're uh, not getting along or they're not caring about other people. So the bad fruit is that they're not getting along. If you want to write it on the chart, you can. We're going to go through the whole thing. Um, so the bad fruit is they're not getting along or they're not caring about other people. They're in this tug of war with each other. So they're you know, so they're not getting along. They're arguing. They're complaining. Uh, they're uh, grumbling about each other. Not they're just or competing with each other. Seeing other people as like their enemies or competition, trying to get ahead of them. They're not getting along, or they're not caring about other people. They're not loving them. And actually, First John talks about it as like hating each other. Instead of loving each other, they're hating each other. They're seeing other people as like they uh, they know that they're in need, but they're withholding what they have to help somebody else. They're not caring for one another. So they're in this tug of war with each other, not, uh, not getting along or not caring about, each other, about one another. So what does this reveal, or this fruit reveal about what they believe about themselves? Why are they in this tug of war? And if you look at these passages where Jesus is held up as an example of a servant, there's this consistent theme that gets corrected. <clears throat> the consistent problem that Jesus and the apostles identified was that when you see this bad fruit in your life, when you see that you're not getting along with others, you're not caring about others, that you're seeing yourself as a king or a queen instead of as a servant, that you're seeing yourself as a master instead of as a servant or a slave of other people, that you're seeing yourself as, I'm a king or a queen, I'm a ruler, and other people are around to serve me, instead of I'm seeing myself as a servant and I'm low to serve other people. So when people aren't getting along, they're not caring about each other, and you see these passages where Jesus is used as an example of a servant, they say, you're, you're not taking the role of a servant. Like, you're, you're putting yourself up high, and you're acting like a king. They don't quite say, they don't come out and say king or queen, but they, what they describe as the issue is, like, you're, you're holding on to these rights. You're putting yourself up high. You're, you're acting um, like you're in position of authority. <clears throat> they talk about you're, you're putting yourself first instead of putting others before you. You're acting pridefully instead of humbly. And so... We'll just read a couple parts of these passages. When his disciples were fighting over positions of greatness in Matthew 20 that we just read, Jesus said to him, Jesus said to them, this is Matthew 20, 25 to 28. So look, he compares them to the Gentile rulers. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave, 
even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus draws this comparison. There's rulers and kings. That's not how you're going to live. You're going to live as a servant. Stop thinking like a ruler or a king. Rulers and great ones of the world exercise authority. They have people serving them. They're saying, go do this, go do that. And, and, but he's like, that's not how you're going to live. Don't think about greatness in that way. Of Greatness isn't more people serving you. Greatness is you serving more people, not the other way around. He says, that's how the world works, but the, it's not the higher you go, the more people you have serving you. It's the greater... You know, the greater you are, the more honor, more power, comfort you get. He says, no, 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 that, it's going to be the opposite way. If you want to be great, serve others. Don't act like a king or a queen thinking about how others are going to serve you. If you want to be first, be a slave of others. Don't act like other people's masters. And then another passage, this is Philippians, uh, the whole passage is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. We're just going to read Philippians 2, 3 through 8. <clears throat> when the church in Philippi had people complaining about each other, arguing with each other, and fighting. So, there again, we have people, the fruit is people aren't getting along. Paul writes a letter to them. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So people were fighting because they're acting from selfish ambition, that selfish ambition trying to further their own agendas and trying to accomplish their own will. Like a king, they're doing things he says, from uh, conceit, which is an inflated view of themselves. They counted others as less significant than themselves. And so Paul says, count others as more significant than yourself. He says they're, they're looking out for their own interests rather than the interests of others. And so he says, you need to flip it. You need to look out for the interests of other people, not just your own interests. In other words, they're acting like kings and queens instead of servants. They're putting themselves high up on a throne. He says, you need to get a servant mindset. Stop acting so high, just looking up for your interests, putting yourself up so significant. He writes to correct this view they're having. And on the night before Jesus died, he took the role of a servant. Hours before he's going to be betrayed by Judas and tried and die the next day, he takes the role of a servant by washing the dirty feet of his disciples. This is what servant's job was. But he, they're sitting around about to eat. There's no servant present. And so Jesus, none of the disciples volunteer to do it. So he gets down. He does the role of a servant. And then he says to them, and this is John 13. I'm going to start uh, in verse 12 and go to verse 17. Do you understand what I've done to you? So he washes their feet and he asks them, sits back down, puts his clothes back on, sits down, and says, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says, you guys have been calling me Lord and teacher, and that's right to call me Lord and teacher. And then he gets down and washes his disciples' feet. 
And his point here is that I want you guys to wash each other's feet. You guys are my disciples, and as my disciples, I want you to wash each other's feet. I'm your Lord and teacher. You guys are all my disciples. Call me Lord and teacher. I just washed your feet. Now I want you to do the same for each other. And if you won't do that, you're saying you are greater than me. I, your Lord and teacher, just washed your feet. And if you are going to say, wash someone's feet, that's a servant's job. Wait, wait. I'm your Lord and teacher and I just did it. And you're going to say you're just better than me? Like, you're going to refuse to do the job that I was just willing to do when you're calling me your Lord and teacher? And you're saying, that's a servant's job. That's below me. I just did it for you. So you're saying you're greater than me if you refuse to do the job I just was willing to humble myself and do for you. And he's, you can see it's, we're taking the role. You're trying to take my role. You're saying you're better than me. Like, you're above me. You're the Lord and teacher. If you're saying you're above me, that's above, or below you. And he's saying you're taking this role of I'm expecting others to serve me. Like, no, 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 that's below me. Servants should wash my feet. I'm not going to serve somebody else. And then in 1 John 3.16, that passage, uh, it's very short. 1 John 3.16, John, who had his feet washed by Jesus, says, we've seen, I'm going to paraphrase, we've seen love that Jesus laid down his life for us. Therefore, we should lay down our life for the brothers. So John had his feet washed by Jesus, and then he saw Jesus die for him. And so he says, this is love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and now we should lay down our life for others. So he's like, I saw the example of Jesus, and now we're supposed to do the same. And so think about this for your life. Do you have any relationships where you have this rope thing going on, where you have the tug of war, either you're, you're not getting along, or you have a relationship where you're not getting along, there's this tug of war, you're like, I want them to see it from my point of view, there's conflict, or you just feel like, man, I just always feel like there's this tugging, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's just like, there's always this tension, you know, tug of war, there's a tension there, and I can't put my finger on it, or you just feel like you have tension where it's like, I'm always just trying to, like, life just feels like I'm never quite getting enough, like I'm just trying to get, get things into my life, like getting my needs met, trying to get cared for. It's like I'm just always just trying to get more. Like I just need life or people to serve me more. There's kind of like this, this tug. You're trying to pull things out of life or other, or other people. There's kind of like I need to get served more. I need people to serve, whether it's in a conflict, I need to get served more or just this feeling like I need to get served more. You're, trying to, you're in this tug and tension with life. And what either it's not you're not getting along with people or you're not caring for people. And what they're identifying here is the fruit is you're thinking about a, yourself as a king or queen where it's everything's supposed to be serving you instead of, well, I'm a servant. I'm supposed to be giving my life out like Jesus did. So is there anything, any relationships where you're not getting along or are you frequently seeing, uh, wanting everything or everyone to care for you? And when we're in this tug, you know, if we're acting like kings and queens and we're in this tug, I mean, what happens when two rival kingdoms come up against each other? There's war, right? They're trying to take over new territory and trying to get resources from each other. And that's what happens when we're acting like kings and queens. It's uh, two rival kingdoms coming against each other and there's war. So what does this reveal we're believing about God if we just keep going down? Why would we act this way? Well, God's supposed to be the one ruling our lives. He's supposed to be... The king on the throne, he's supposed to be the one we trust to provide for us, 
to affirm our significance, to be in control, that we don't need to do all this. But what happens when someone doesn't think a king is doing a very good job? They rebel against the king and put a new king in charge. And so if we're acting like the king of our lives, it means we've rebelled against the one who's supposed to be king, and we've thought, I can run my life better than him. And so when we're acting as king, uh, we think, well, I can bring you know, all the things, these things that I need into my life better than God can bring them in uh, to my life. And if you remember back to Genesis 3 that we covered the first week, the serpent led Adam and Eve to believe lies about God. Well, he can't be trusted. He's not doing what's best for you. He's holding out on you. When we replace God as king, it's because we don't think he's a very good one. Well, get this guy off the throne. Let's rebel and put somebody else as king. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rule this. Uh, we think we'd make a better one. And we look for significance and security and satisfaction outside of his rule and reign. We think we'd bring those things into our life better than he can. We think if we're running our lives, we could create a better life for ourselves. And so, yep, yeah, get this guy out. You know, that's when, when people rebel and they're like, yeah, this kingdom isn't going very well. Uh, let's have a mutiny. Let's have a rebellion. Let's move him out and put another king in place. So when we come to this repentance and belief, like, man, we're in this place, we're having this tug of war, we're acting like kings and queens of our lives because we didn't think God was doing a very good job. We need to repent of that, turn from it. And what do we need to believe? What do we need to believe instead? What do all these passages point to that we need to believe about Jesus? When we're in a tug of war with each other, not getting along, not caring for each other. Uh, Jesus in the early church would often point to a powerful truth about Jesus. And we saw in these passages, they pointed to Jesus as a servant who went to the cross, who laid down his life, who gave his life up for us. And it's pretty remarkable, I think, that Jesus didn't stop and say to his disciples, when they're acting like kings or acting like queens, he didn't stop and say, hey, stop acting like kings and queens. I'm the king around here. What do you think you're doing? Or God's the king around here. What do you think you're doing? But instead, he, he doesn't do that. He actually uh, does something completely different. Because if he did that, he's act, he would be doing the same thing that they're doing. Like, okay, like they're, he's in this tug of war. Like, hey, you're taking my spot. Like, he's, you know, it's almost like this competing thing. He rightfully could say, well, I actually am the king, so I don't know what you guys are doing. But now he's in this tug of war with them, right? Now he's in, the, they're saying, like, well, we want these spots of honor or whatever. They're acting like these kings and queens. But now he's in this tug of war. Like, no. I'm the king. I don't know what you guys are doing. But Jesus never gets in these like tugs of war with people. He could have said, I'm the king, but he doesn't. But let's just think about who Jesus is. Why could he rightly, rightfully have said that? I'm the king. Uh, what do you guys think you're doing? Jesus, what, we know, what do we know of Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who, Jesus is God, so we can say who God is. Who, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God who's always existed for all of eternity. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And so John 1 says, Jesus is God, and He was with God, and everything, nothing exists, all this dirt, and all this grass, and all these trees, and all this air, and any, as far as you can look out into the universe, and as deep as we can look, and as small as we can look, you know, as big as you can go and as small as you can go, it was all created by Jesus. Nothing exists that wasn't created by him. So Jesus always was and everything exists because of him. Colossians 1 says, By him all things were created, all things were created through him 
and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's supreme over all creation, and he's the head of the church. In Philippians 2, as we saw, we didn't keep reading, but if we kept reading in Philippians 2 that we read earlier, at his second coming, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Revelation 2, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So he's saying, I'm just, you know, I, everything is about me. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He sits at God the Father's right hand in glory and power, reigning over all creation. And Jesus, his attributes, he's holy, righteous, sinless, perfect, the eternal Son of God who's existed forever. He's glorious and good. And so we can just put it all on there. This is who Jesus is. God, Jesus is God walking in the flesh. And so Jesus should be bowed down to as king. He should be served by others. He should receive honor and glory and have all the power. He's worthy of all praise and honor and glory. He's equal with God. But what, so if we put all that on there, that's all of what's true of Jesus. But then what does Jesus do? And we have to contrast those things. What does Jesus do? When Jesus and the early church hold up Jesus in these situations where people are tugging on the rope and not loving each other as servants, they don't just say, well, look at how great of an example Jesus is. Be like him. No, he, Jesus is just a great servant. Just be like him. They, they do say that. But they're also saying, this is who Jesus is. This is, this is who he is. And this is what Jesus did for you. It's not just be like him. It's this is what Jesus did for you. All of these things are true about who Jesus is. And now look at how much he's loved you. Look at how much he's served you. Look at what he did. He became a servant and he humbled himself. He did things that he should never have to do. He did things that you're supposed to go through. He died in the way you're supposed to die. Your king got down and washed the dirt and grime off of you. All the sin that you're supposed to have on you. All the wrath of God that's supposed to come on you. All of your transgressions and all of your iniquities and all of your sin. He came down and he took that all on you. That's all supposed to be what happens to you. And we don't. Your king was nailed to a cross for you. Your king went to the grave for you. And he's saying he is all of these things and he doesn't deserve anything of what he did. But he did it all for you. And so not just that you have an example to follow, but it's like he's the one who got down and he has served you. And now it's that you have that, that he's loved you so much and given all of this to you. And now look how you're supposed to live. You don't just have an example. He's loved you and served you and gave himself up for you and laid down his life for you. And this is what got you into this kingdom in the first place. The only reason you can be part of this family is because he gave himself for you. There's, I found four times in the Bible, and it's amazing, Paul himself says, personally, he says, Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says another time, Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. And he says, Jesus who loved the church and gave himself for the church. And, and this language of, think about that. You can say that for yourself. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And there's a song, an older song, that says, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, died, died for me? Who Jesus is, he's my king. And he died for me. That should not be. All of who Jesus is should mean he doesn't do what he does. He shouldn't be the one serving. He shouldn't be the one dying. He shouldn't be the one that is dying on the cross. It should be us. 
But he does the thing that he shouldn't have to do because of our sin. Because he humbled himself to be a servant so we could be saved. And there's just these passages that talk about how he takes our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So he knew no sin, made him to be sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who knew no sin, made him to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's how he served us. Galatians 3.13-14 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus never sinned. He became a curse under the law. Why? So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might become to us, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus, who's never sinned, doesn't deserve the curse of the law, became a curse for us, so we might be blessed with the promised Holy Spirit and enter the, the family of God. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake, what did he do? He became poor, so that we might, by his poverty, become rich. He gave up all the riches of heaven, humbled himself as a servant. Romans 3.21 and others. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, we mentioned that last week. Propitiation means something that takes away the wrath. Jesus deserves none of the wrath of God. He was totally sinless. A propitiation is a sacrifice that takes away the wrath. So Jesus deserves to bear none of the wrath. He's sinless. What did he become? A wrath-bearing sacrifice. Why? So that we might be forgiven of our sins. So we can be forgiven and loved. We might become rich. And so who are we? We are loved by Jesus. We can say, I am loved by Jesus. I am served by Jesus. I am healed by Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost, the sick, the sinners, as a servant. And so we should say, who, who is it? We, we can say all these crazy things about how he is righteous, holy, glorious. He's the eternal Son of God. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. What did he do? He went to the cross. Wait, what? He went to the cross? What? How does that make even any sense? That's the opposite of what you'd expect from who he is. That's not right. We should be the ones cursed. We should be the ones seen for all of our sin. We should bear the wrath for it. We should be poor. But it's because Jesus took our place as our representative and substitute that we can be in relationship with God. The reason we can have this amazing relationship with God the Father because of what Jesus has done. He put himself in that place so that we could have that. And we tend to build up reasons why we shouldn't go do something, thinking, I'm important, or I'm tired, or I had a bad week, and I have a lot going on, or I'm overwhelmed, it's bad timing, or I have kids, or it's dangerous, or it's inconvenient, or I'm too busy. And we can just thank God that Jesus had the most reasons why he shouldn't go to the cross. And he didn't you know, grab onto any of those, and he he went to there for us. And so a big idea that summarizes this and I hope that you can think on for the week is that the Son of God became a servant who loved you and died for you. The Son of God became a servant who loved you and died for you. So that's who he is. The Son of God became a servant. So that's something he did or some, someone he is. He, Son of God became a servant who loved you and died for you. Son of God became a servant who loved you and died for you. 
And so we have this practice in our community practices of our church is love, loving as a servant. But before we love as a servant, we are sacrificially loved by Jesus, the greatest servant. And we can think that, and he's continuing to serve. It's not just like, oh, way back when Jesus died on the cross. His whole role that he has now is that he's our good shepherd. And shepherds, the whole definition is that sheep need shepherding. And so the shepherd is continuing to shepherd his sheep. His role now is, is our great high priest. And great high priests intercede on behalf of the people. Jesus, Paul talks about how he's our husband. And he cherishes and nourishes us, his bride, the church. He's our advocate who stands with us and he moves towards us in all of our needs. So Jesus is continuing to serve you. And all this should be disarming. If he's the, you know, think of, I mean, you, it, it, I know it's, this is like a terrible comparison. But think about, it would still be disarming if the President of the United States rolled up, came walking down here with all of his Secret Service and came down and just started taking off Jean's sandals and just started, like, you know, washing her feet. We'd all be like, oh, my gosh, wh- what is happening? That would be just so disarming. You know, we would all would just be shocked. Jesus is a billion... I mean, can't, we can't even come up with the amount of times more amazing it is that Jesus does that. The God of the universe comes down and takes on all... Even worse than washing somebody's dirty feet is he takes on all of our sin. And he's done that. It's just disarmed us. Like, what are you, who, what are you doing? That's, that's Peter's response to it. When he starts getting his feet washed, he's like, you're not going to wash my feet. And he says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And what Jesus later says is, you understand what I've done for you. This is what the cross is about. I'm going to do something even greater than this. I'm going to take all of your sin. And it's just so disarming that if we can get that in our hearts, in our heads, that this is what Jesus has done for us. Like Our service to anybody else is just nothing. Whatever act of love we do for somebody else, we still haven't done anything compared to what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is still below us. He's humbled himself lower than us to love us. Any anytime you've lowered yourself to serve somebody else is still Jesus is still lower. He's still done something worse than you're doing for somebody else. There's nothing you can do for someone else that will outdo Jesus' love for you. Whatever you give up to love someone else, Jesus still gave up more to love you. And so as we think about how this comes into our lives, the Son of God came, became a servant who loved you and died for you. There's this saying that pops up in the book of Acts um, that isn't recorded in the Gospels. Uh, it's a staying, saying of Jesus um, where he, the Apostle Paul is talking to a church and he says, oh, you know how the Lord Jesus said uh, it's, it's better to, to give than to receive. And it's like, oh, you didn't see that in the Gospels. But he's like, oh, you know how our Lord said it's better to give than to receive. Uh, but there's kind of, you know, this hashtag that's out there. Hashtag, boom. Kind of uh, that's a uh, uh, hashtag blessed, and if you like go look, look this up like on the internet or whatever, and you kind of walk, look at it's usually people who are like, oh, you know, life is all good, you know, hashtag blessed, like you know, I'm just so blessed. And it's usually when we've been given something or received something, or life is all how it is. And I was just thinking about that. Like nobody ever says like, man, I laid down my life today in love, I'm so blessed, or like, you know, today I gave up my right to get even for a wrong done to me, I'm so blessed, or. Uh, you know, I serve someone even though I'm tired and overwhelmed with life. You know, I'm so blessed. Or, you know, I forgave someone for something really hurtful they did to me. I'm so blessed. 
you know, hashtag blaster. Or I gave away time today to a friend who asked for help, even though I don't have any free time for myself. I'm so blessed. You know, hashtag blessed. Like, we don't think about blessing in that way. But do we believe Jesus when he says, it's better to give than to receive? When we think about the blessed life, we think about everything we've received. And, of course, we celebrate and thank God. Thank you for how much you have given me. Like, that is part of worship, is thanking God. But then Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. To, there's something in giving that nourishes us and does good for our soul. And Jesus says it's better to you, you're, He says you, uh, it's, you're more blessed to give than to receive. And do we believe that, that when we give, that there's something in that for us instead of we give out of when we have a lot or an abundance and we just want to be served. And it's better to be served than to serve somebody else. And if we... And as we think about last week, we talked about being family. And this week about being servants, that we're served and then we become servants. As a family, the cross of Christ colors and flavors all of our relationships with each other. That the way we get into this family is by the cross of Jesus. And then what defines how we treat each other, Jesus says, As I've loved you, you love each other. And the world will know you're my disciples by your love for each other. And so the cross is, how should I treat my brother or sister in Christ? It's, well, how Jesus has treated me, the cross, is that he has served me. He's gotten down and done the lowest, most humble thing. And now how do I do the lowest, most humble thing for everybody else in this family? And don't even worry about how I'm going to... Uh, it's better for me to... It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's a love that been kind of we've used the sponge. It's like I get filled up, and this community becomes filled up as a sponge that's kind of you know gushing out to the world. And so let's pray as we... And pray that the Spirit would pour that love into each of us and we become a community of that love. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank Jesus to serve us and love us. Would you let us have a grand vision of the cross and of what, who Jesus is and what he lowered himself to do. In your son's name we pray. Amen.